Open up to Hebrews chapter 4. Last week, <clears throat> we started to talk about uh, Proverbs chapter 2 and our continuation of how to build a relationship with God. And I told you how that uh, we were going to look at the wisest men that ever lived and see what he had to say. And those verses coming to down there, Proverbs 2, are probably the, the most loaded verses anywhere in all the Bible. I mean, they just have so much in them. In fact, last week, and when, you know, uh, when I was done, I thought to myself, man, there's a lot of things in there that I really wanted to <clears throat> accomplish and didn't get to just because of the time element. And then uh, I was thinking, you know, I want to kind of stay on a schedule. I don't want to get bogged down on But when today happened, you know, and I knew that it was probably going to be a down-and-out day for a lot of people coming and just be, you know, someone could get here. I thought, you know what? This is, what I, this is the perfect day for this because what I'll do is I'll take and I'll teach what I wanted to get in last week that I didn't get in that helped supplement what I was talking about last week. So <clears throat> we're going to talk about Hebrews chapter 4 uh, today. You remember last week we talked about it, it started out with receiving the Word of God and we talked about, you know, where the Bible says uh, over there in 1 Thessalonians where it talks about uh, for when you have received the Word of God, you receive it not as the Word of men, but it is in truth, the Word of God which affects the workers also in you to believe. And that was where we were at last week about receiving His Word. And we defined the word receiving. But uh, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 7 really goes right along with that. And it defines for you the Bible in a way that uh, uh, I've never really heard it defined. Now, we know the Bible, we say we define the Bible. Yeah, we know the Bible's God's Word and all that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about exactly breaking down the Bible. When he says, receive the Word of God, we know that that means you have to take it into yourself as, as your own personal book of promises. We've covered all that. But the, uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, really talks about what the Word of God does for you when you do that. And all this ties in, and you're going to see it today, it all ties in with what we have been talking about uh, as we came through uh, Proverbs chapter 2 and before that, it, it all lays itself out. So he says down here in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, he says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature <clears throat> that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under, under the eyes of with whom uh, we, we have to do. Now, <clears throat> I don't know if you're looking down through here or not, but you're going to find that there's seven things about the Word of God that come into your life when you receive it the right way. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4 talks about that He is the rock, His work is perfect. Everything that God does, He does perfectly. And, of course, we know that the Bible <clears throat> is God's perfect book. And, uh, you know, you've all been around long enough. We really don't have any young Christians here you, just today. You've always been around long enough where you, you look at people and you see how people look at the Bible differently. And truly, as we've said many, many times, how you view it depends on your relationship with it and ultimately your relationship with God because attitude is the key. I found over the years that there's some people that are intimidated by the Bible. That the Bible actually is intimidating to them. You know, they really don't get into it because it's, you know, they're afraid of it. 
Uh, they, they, they look at all the negative things in it, <clears throat> you know, and maybe they don't have everything perfect in their life and everything's not laid out exactly the way it needs to be, so they're, they're always walking through life waiting for that second shoe to drop, you know, for God to whack them, uh, and they get intimidated to it. At the same time, there's some people that they, they love it. And they, they take the Word of God and they, they love it in a way that, you know, that, uh, like they don't love anything else in this world. Because as the Bible says, they receive that as it is in truth, the Word of God. Some people, they, they come to the point where they see it for everything that it is. Some people, they despise it. They hate it for what it is. Some never read it, even though they have it. Some wear it out, go through, you know, a Bible every two or three years. I mean, uh, all kinds of people when it comes to the Word of God. But I know this. I know what he's talking about here goes right along with what we talked about in Proverbs chapter 2. Because when you do receive it, there's some things that the Bible does for you in your life that no other book can do. And it's listed here. He says, for the, for the Word of God, first of all, he says, is quick. Now, quickness in the Bible will always have to deal with your, sal- deal with your salvation. Bible says in Acts chapter 10 verse 42, it also says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1, that Jesus Christ is going to judge the quick and the dead. And it talks about a quickness. When you got saved, God quickened your spirit and quickened your soul. That's what salvation is. Ephesians 2.1 says, You hath he quickened uh, who were dead in trespasses of sin. So the quickening element of the Bible in its basic form, deals with the day you got saved. Before you were saved, you were dead in trespasses of sin. Once you got saved, the Bible says, or at the moment you got saved, the Bible says the Word of God quickened you. So the Bible says that uh, down here, for the Word of God is quick. That's the first thing. Because salvation has to be the fundamental thing in your life. Of course, we know that. And it's the Bible that really saves you. I mean, God, God has the power to save you. God died on the cross that you could be saved. But the bottom line of what saved you is the Word of God. That's why the Bible says that, uh, uh, you know, that uh, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You get saved by a book that God gives you that tells you how to get saved and tells you what God has done that you can be saved. Now, that's what the Bible says in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. It says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Definition. By the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Then it's the Word of God that quickens you. It quickens you in salvation, and it's the Word of God that saves you. Because the Word of God is seed. It's not corruptible seed. It's incorruptible seed. That's why the Bible says being born again, uh, not of your parents, not of the physical aspect of life, but by the Word of God. The Word of God is what saves you. And it, when the Bible talks about quickening, it means it quickens you in salvation. And then at the same time, the Bible says that the Word of God not only quickens you the day you get saved, but it quickens you in death. Because it takes the sting out of death, and death becomes a quick thing. Now, you're going to die one way or the other. You're going to either die in the rapture and go up, or you're going to die a natural death. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, that when you go in the rapture, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the rapture is a quick thing. See, the Bible, the Bible quickens you even in death. 
when he takes the sting out of death, and I know, you know, we, we think of dying, you know, when somebody laying in a hospital bed and all of that, and, uh, you know, death is prolonged, and, and when it finally comes, you know, uh, after a period of time. But the bottom truth of the matter is this. We look at death from one way, God looks at it from another way. And when a man or a woman belongs to God, and they're his child, the Bible says, precious is the death of the saints and the sight of the Lord. So there's something about death that we don't understand. And the, and the aspect of death is God didn't quicken you at salvation and leave you linger at death. There's a quickening in, in, in your salvation, and because of that, there's a quickening in your death. We see it in the rapture that you're taken in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And of course, that's exactly what the Bible does for you. Now, not only does it, does it save you and quicken you there, and I'm going to show you all three aspects here. It quickens you when you get saved. It quickens you in death, but it also quickens you in life. And this is what the Bible talked about in Psalms 119 last week, bound through 97, when it said you're, you're, you're going to have, you'll be wiser than your enemies, for they have with you. You have more understanding than all your teachers. You'll understand more than the ancients. It gives you a quicken, a quickened mind right now. And I guess overall in this life, that's what the Bible does for you in this life that nothing else can do. Everybody and everybody, uh, you know, likes to be around people that are always thinking fast on their feet, you know, and they always have an answer for everything. And there's people, unsafe people that are like that. And, uh, you know, that's just part of their personality uh, that, uh, you know, some people are like that, some people aren't. I mean, you look at people, you know, you see people in all shapes and sizes. Some people are, you know, some people are, are mediocre. Some people are really doofuses, you know, in life. And they just never get above a subplant life mentality. Other people, you know, uh, they're very sharp. In fact, we use the term, boy, that's really a sharp guy. You know, that's really a sharp girl. And uh, it's dealing, we use it in the term in a, in, a, in a worldly sense that they really have something on the ball. And, and you work with people like that. You work with people that, you know, in a, in a natural sense, they just never can figure it out. They're, you know, they're always, you know, substandard in what they do. Then you find other people that are always a cut above the rest. They're always doing, you know, uh, what, uh, you know, the other people should be doing and, you know, and, and cover all the bases. And, and that's what the Word of God does for you. The Word of God not only quickens you in... It's salvation, quicken the dead. It not only quickens you in death, that the fact that you don't linger at death, death has no sting, and either you go in the rapture or you die. Either one of them, the Bible says, is a blessing because it's quick, it's over quickly. Now, I, like I said, we look at it from an aspect of, uh, you know, of, of how we see it from a human standpoint. Well, boy, you ought to go back and read the accounts of the martyrs that died uh, back in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, and how that while they were burning them at the stake, and while they were, you know, doing all the terrible things to do them, that they thought they were persecuting them for their faith, that they were going out in a blaze of glory. They were singing songs to the Lord and, and, and thanking God and praying, and many times they were praying for their captors, and it was almost like you, you get the, of course, I, you know, I wasn't there, and I know we're reading the account, but it's almost like that they're not feeling what they're going through. And I, and I just don't believe for a moment, you know, that dying for the Lord is any, is any, in any greater, uh, I don't believe that the rapture of the church is such a great deal and dying is such a rotten deal. I believe that God quickens you in both. And I believe God gives you the ability and, I mean, it's an incredible thing. And we're, we're so much out of touch with the reality of it that we don't see it. But also, it gives you the ability to be quick in your mind. The Bible talks about the fact that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Timothy's told to preach the Word. He's told to be instant, in season, out of season. 
that means he's supposed to be ready to have an answer and preach the Word of God whether he feels like it or not. He had to be so through with the Word of God and have the Word of God in him so much that, uh, that he, can, uh, he always has the edge. And of course, the uh, Bible says over there in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 that we ought to be ready to give an answer for any man that asks us for the reason of the hope that's within us. And you see, when you, get, when you recognize what the Word of God is, and you see it as the quickening Spirit of God, and it quickens you when you get saved, it quickens you in death, and it also quickens you in your life to the point where you are always a, a step ahead of the unsaved world. You're always a step ahead. You're always quicker. Or you should be. And it comes, uh, there's no, you know, the Bible's the one thing and Christianity's the one thing where we're all on the same ground. Some of you intellectually might be smarter than others. You may be a little faster than others as far as doing things or your motor skills. You may have an IQ higher than somebody else and you may be able to do this where somebody else can't do that. And that's the way life is. But when it comes to God and the Bible, we're all on the same par. And you can have out of God as much as you want. You only get out of it what you put into it. But the Word of God is the one book where we're, at least we're all even when it comes to what we have and what we don't have. And uh, in time, as you grow in the Word of God and you learn the Word of God, you come to the point where you, you are, as the Bible says in Psalm 119, you are wiser than your enemies. You have more understanding than the ancients and you know more than your teachers in a worldly sense you come to the point where you get that quick mind that you understand things faster, quicker, because you have the Word of God in there that gives you the true picture of things. I always likened it to, to cameras. I remember that when you just went out and bought a 35mm camera years ago, you know, whatever it was, a Monalto or a Pentex, I always, I always likened it where you looked through the camera in the back and everything was out of focus. And then you had to take that little lens on the end and you had to screw it back and forth, left or right, till it came into focus. And I, and I, for years and years and years, that's how people took pictures. And that's fine, you know, if you're standing there taking a picture of your, your wife or your kid or your car or the mountains. But if you're at a, some place where somebody's skiing down the mountain or you're, want to catch your kids running around and doing something cute, uh, that obviously you have to really be proficient with a camera to be able to get it in focus or it's out of focus. Well, then somebody come up with the idea, well, of an autofocus. And I remember I had one of these cameras at one point, and uh, I'm not sure where it's at now. Somebody borrowed it and never brought it back. I think Pam Steinmetz has got it. I don't know the truth, but that's another story. Anyway, this camera was neat because what you did is you looked through the back, and, of course, the shutter button you pushed down, it, you pushed it down to the first step, and it, it was incredible. It automatically went and, and gave you instant focus. You didn't have to stand there and crank the end anymore. I looked through there. I don't care where it was. 200 yards, 300 yards, a race car coming down the track, whatever. All I had to do was push that button down the first time, and it automatically zipped into focus in just a split second. And then I could take the shot. Well, the other way, you know, you're cranking it, and then you get your eye knocked out, you know, and then you, it, it, I just never could take great pictures. This way it was zip, shoot, zip, shoot, zip, shoot. Write that down. Zip, shoot. Z-I-P dash S-H-O-O-T. Zip shoot. It was easy. And I often look back and I thought, you know what, that's, that's what it's like for a, an ordin, a common, ordinary, unsaved man or woman trying to get the focus on life. They're always fiddling with it. And it takes them longer to do it than the zip shoot guy. 
Because the Word of God gives you the ability to zip shoot. When you get the book in there, it not only quickens you in life, it not only quickens you in death, it quickens your mind that you can come to focus on things in this world a lot quicker than somebody who doesn't have the book. And it's just a matter of getting that book into your mind and it, everything, it goes into autofocus. You don't have to focus it. Because the Word of God hidden in your heart, thy word of I hid in my heart, the, having this mind meaning was also in Christ Jesus, it comes to autofocus very quickly and you don't even have to think about focusing it. You don't have to think. It comes automatically. You'll see something, bang, the principle comes into your mind that brings it into focus. You'll see a circumstance, you'll hear a circumstance in the news, you'll hear this, you'll see that, you'll hear a circumstance, bang, that thing will come in automatically, just like it zips into focus. Because the Word of God gives you the ability to be quick in your mind. And that's one of the greatest things that the Word of God does for you. It quickens you. It quickens you at the time of salvation. It quickens you at death. Death has no sting. And then all through your life, as the book of Psalms says, it makes you wiser than your enemies. You have more understanding than your teachers, and you know more than the you, you have it together. It gives you a quickening in your mind that you can come to focus faster and quicker on what you see in life, problems in life, people in life, uh, than the average person can. You know, the Lord, the, the Lord had an ability that we don't have. He could read people's minds. He had the ability to know what people were thinking. He had the ability that when somebody talked to him, he could read the ulterior motive and, and, and really knew what they were doing. Now, we don't have that ability to that extent. But if you think the Bible and learning the Bible principles don't give you an insight on human character and human nature that you know you, the Bible, the Bible tells you in the book of Proverbs especially, it'll almost give you every little innuendo that somebody does and there's an ulterior motive behind it. It's an incredible thing. He talks about somebody <clears throat> jesting with you as people like to do and they want to hurt you by saying something, but instead of coming up and just saying that you're ugly or the clothes you have on is, is terrible looking, and they, 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 they want to make you look bad because that's part of their agenda, they'll cloak it in humor. And that way they can accomplish their purpose by making you feel bad, but they can step back and say, oh, I'm just joking. No, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that a man will do something like that, then he'll back up and say, am I not in sport? That means, what, am I joking? He'll tell you everything that you need. It'll give you everything. It'll tell you about when you go to eat at somebody's house. And somebody of high stature has invited you over to eat. And you're not of the same high stature. Be careful. There's a hidden agenda behind what they're trying to do. It gives you every insight. And it gives you that superior intellect where, no, you can't read people with mind. But what you do is you read human nature so well that it's unbelievable. I'll tell you what, how it is. I can go just about anywhere in this country, train station, airport, whatever, and we'll walk down the thing together, and I will point out for you every man in that place that is a fundamental Baptist preacher. They all look the same. They all act the same. They all wear the same kind of stuff, and they all have the same mannerisms. In fact, if you didn't know better, you think there was a little, there's, there's theology seminaries or the Bible college were nothing more than a little factory where everybody come down the assembly line and got the three-peach suits printed on, and it all changes. It's like your car models. 
You know, next year you have four doors, they're the big seller. Next year, two-door coupes are the big seller. Next year, everybody wants a black car. Everybody Next year, everybody wants a red car. Next year, everybody into pickup trucks. Next year, everybody into SUVs. Well, preachers are the same way. One, one production line puts them in three-piece suits. That works for a while. And then after three or four years, you go to leisure suits. And everybody gets spray-painted with a leisure suit. Then it goes back to the two-piece suits. And everybody wears that. And it goes back to, you know, uh, pinstripe shirts and, the, and, the, and a big flowery tie. And it works from there. And it just, when you see them, it's just a matter of, it's just a matter of what production model you are on. But they're all the same. They all have the same haircuts. They all have the same manner. They all talk the same way. And they all wear the same clothes. And it's so easy to spot them. Why? Because you, you learn the characteristics of certain traits of people in human nature, and it's just, a, it's just a way to go. And just like you can walk out there and you can see, a, you can spot a drug, a cop can spot a drug dealer a mile away. You know why? They have a profile. And they know what they're doing. Just like the guy at immigration. He can spot somebody coming through uh, that uh, maybe has got some stuff suspect. Why? Because they have a profile. And just like uh, when you go on an honor across the seas trip, you know, and a, a, somebody will walk up to you and say, uh, I'd have to ask you a few questions here. Are you carrying more than $10,000 in cash? You're not allowed to take that much out of the country. And uh, they, they, they profile people because they have guys that sit around in little cubicles that say, okay, if you're going to do this, sell drugs, launder money, do whatever, this is the profile based on psychological points in your life that we're going to look for. And when you have one, two of these, everybody may have one. Certain people have two. But if you see somebody that has three or four, you've got somebody that fits that profile. And there's guys in little CIA cubicles, little FBI cubicles. They call them criminal profilers. They have them for everything. And when a, when a crime takes place, they will sit down and they say, okay... We don't know who killed this woman. We don't know who killed this kid. We don't know how to. Do, we don't know who it was. So tell us, what are we looking for? What should we be looking for? Give us the first. And he says, "All right, a guy that commits this crime fits this profile. This is what you want to look for. Black people don't commit this kind of crime. White people do. White people don't commit this kind of crime. Black people do." You're looking for somebody in their early year, in, in their, in their middle thirties. You're looking for somebody that, that, uh, and they got all kinds of points that you look for, and that's where they begin to start. Now, if the unsaved world can profile people to figure out what they're looking for, well, how about the book that knows human nature better than anything else in the whole wide world? And what you do when you get your mind quickened is you build, start to build profiles of the way people are. And when somebody falls into that profile, then you know probably what you're dealing with. It doesn't mean that you automatically mark them off and judge them for that's what they are. No. But it, uh, it, you begin to see the characteristic that you just know that what you're, what you're probably going to deal with. And that's why after a while, when, I mean, when somebody calls you with a problem and you start to deal with people, you may let them tell you the problem because they need to. But you could probably stop them after the first two minutes and tell them what the real problem is down the line. And they say, yeah, that's it. How did you know? Because you fit into the profile. And the profile comes from the book. And when you learn the principles of the Word of God, you get quickened in your mind. And that is absolutely invaluable when you're dealing with people on a day-to-day -day basis. You know why? Because you're going to have to deal with people that work. 
You're going to have people at work that fit into the profile that they're, they're I mean, that the, and you just know what you're dealing with. And then once you know the profile, then you know how to deal with them. When I was, when I was working for SM&P, that's a big ego thing because locating, you know, things in the ground, you know, they put so much hype on not having any damages because it costs a lot of money, especially if you had a fiber optic hit. And so what they do is they, uh, they, uh, they uh, they really they really hold that up as a high standard, and so a guy that never has any damages, who's a really good locator, well, he's he there's a real ego between the guys, and so when you first come into it, I mean you're a nobody, you're you're nothing, you don't know anything, and sometimes they'll help you, sometimes they won't, sometimes it's like you know what uh, every but, but but if you know that, and when I was going in, hey. I had guys that were great locators that if I had a job that I couldn't figure out where somebody else would call them, they'd say, hey, do it yourself. If I would call them and ask them, they would drop what they're doing and come over and help me. You know why? Because I, I knew what I was dealing with. I knew we had this guy that thought he was the greatest locator in the world. Now, I had one or two choices. I could say to him, no, I'm the greatest locator in the world, and him and I would butt heads. Or I can say... What do I care who's the greatest locator in the world? I just don't want to get a damage. You know what I would say? I'd say, you know what? You are the greatest locator in the world. I don't know of anybody that locates like you do. I mean, your marks are right on the... Have you... Why aren't you... They ought to put you in charge of this company. You really understand. Will you feed a guy's ego? Well, you know what? You get in the jam. He doesn't want you to ever to think that he isn't the God that you think he is. And he'll be there in a heartbeat. Other guys, they're fighting, fussing back and forth. They don't like each other. They backbite each other. There wasn't anybody that wouldn't come and help me because you know why? I will read where your ego is and I've got a whole bag of ego treats. You know why? Because a man will become your servant because he's so stupid that he thinks he really believes that he is really as good as he thinks he is. And in the world, hey, you've got to use those things. Otherwise, you will go nowhere. And it's one of those things, as the Bible says, you're, you're wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Sometimes three serpents to two doves. But you use the wisdom that's out there in the world. And you see where a guy really thinks he is. And then you use that to your own ability and to, for the furtherance of what your own gospel of preaching the Word of God and being their friend. Otherwise, you're going to butt head with them the rest of your life. You know what that is? That's reading the profiles. The Bible quickens your mind. When you learn the principles of the Word of God, your mind becomes so quick, you auto-focus on everything in life and you see it as it really is, not as it appears to be. And while people are still walking around in the fog, living in the delusion of life, you see the reality of life. That is the key. That is the key to winning men and women to Christ. That is the key to dealing with people and their problems. And it, it comes to that old thing like I've taught you many, many times. When you, most people don't want to really solve their problem. They want you to treat their symptoms. But you, you get beyond that and you solve their problems. And you learn how to do that because you are quicker than they are. It doesn't mean you're better than they are. It just means that the, the Word of God, it, it does for you what it does. And you know what? That's true in everything you do in life. 
If you go to the, watch a football game, you know who on the, you know you know who's on the offense. You know who the guy that gets off the line quicker and gets out two steps on the guy and catches the ball. He's quicker. On the defense, you know what it is. It's the guy that blitzes the line and knocks sacks the quarterback because he's quicker. You go down to KCI International Racetrack down here, I don't care where you go. You put two cars side by side, you know what? who wins? The guy that gets the whole shot that's quicker and gets off the line first. Wherever you go. Wherever you go. And as a Christian, you ought to be off the line quicker than anybody else. You ought to full the defense and blitz whatever you got to be. And you ought to be two steps ahead of everybody else when you catch the ball. That's what the Word of God does for you. Quicker. For the Word of God is quick. And then he says this. And is powerful. The Bible is the most powerful book the world has ever seen. Most powerful book the world has ever seen. People don't understand it. Because it's just a book and there's so many other books. And it's pages with ink on it like so many other books. They don't really understand it. But like we said last week. When you receive the Word of God, you receive it not as the Word of men, but as is in truth the Word of God, which effectually worketh also when you believe. And that is power. Why, in John chapter 18, verse 5 and 6, <coughs> when the scribes and Pharisees, this is always one of my favorite places, and he turned around and he speaks to them, they, he, just by when he says, I am he, the Bible says, they fall down. They can't even stand in front of the power of the Word of God. And that's always been a, a picture to me when you're dealing with people. People will not be able to stand up to the pure Word of God if you believe it is the book that God says it is and you'll always have the edge on them because there's no words in this world. There's no books in this world that can stand up to that book and you will always have the edge and, and that's the key. You never want to lose the power of God in your life because power is the edge. And when you have the edge with people... They'll never get ahead of you. I don't care if it's at work. I don't care if you're dealing with somebody and their sin. I don't care. <clears throat> the same words that knocked those men down in John chapter 18 is the same words Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all of the host of them by the breath of his mouth. <clears throat> For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood still. The word of God <clears throat> is powerful. It's powerful. <clears throat> in the book of Acts, you see it. He says, And with great power, Acts chapter 4, gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, <clears throat> and great grace was upon them. 1 Corinthians, uh, uh, Ephesians 6.10, Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. It's power. It's power. And, and you might know that that's the issue today. You realize that every, every issue in this world, every issue in this world, Every issue between every individual on this planet and every country comes down to simply this, a power struggle. That's what it is. When it's all said and done and you did it out in its lowest form, I don't care what problem you have, it's a problem over an issue of who's really in charge. It's either me or it's you. If your neighbor does, you get in a fight with your neighbor over this or that, it's because of the fact that he thinks the fence had to go here, you think that had to go here. It's always something that deals with a power issue in your life or my life. And that's what it is with the Word of God. The Word of God, <clears throat> the Word of God is a powerful thing. And it's the whole problem in the world. I don't care where you go. The issue today is going to be authority. Who says what? Who means what? When push comes to shove, who has the final say? And the Word of God is the most powerful book the world has ever seen. Bar none. And you learn it, you receive it, you'll have the same power in your life and in your ministry. That's why there's men that get things done for God that nobody else does. 
That's why there's people that build things for God that nobody else will ever build. It isn't the fact that he's, he's better or she's better or they're smarter. It's the fact that they believe the book. They understand that the greatest, the same power that threw the universe into being, the same power that knocked those guys down is the same power you have in a book in your lap this morning that you can get inside you and you'll have that same power. That's what he's talking about. So he says that for the word of God is quick and powerful. Then next thing he says is that it's sharper, sharper, sharper. And of course, as the popular saying is today, you know, uh, companies like to say it, you know, they like to say, well, we're on the, you know, especially in the electronics field, we're on the cutting edge. We're on the cutting edge. Well, the Bible puts you as a Christian on the cutting edge. I remember watching a movie that probably most of you have seen over the years, uh, uh, Back to the Future. And it's kind of a fun little thing, you know, and it, uh, one of the things in it that I thought was the neatest thing I always thought about later is this guy goes into the future. And when he's going down there and he's, make a long story short, he, he sees a bookstore or something in the bookstore. It's got a book in there uh, of the history of who won all the Super Bowls. And his immediate plan is, wow, here I am, you know, a hundred years ahead. I'm going back. I buy this book that tells me who won the Super Bowl for the next 20 years. I'm going to be a millionaire because I'm going to know how to bet. And so the plan was that he was going to go back to his own time and he could play the stock markets, he could play the, the, the lot, all the different things where he could bet money and he'd never lose because he has insight into how to make the best investments. And I thought, I thought after that, you know, I saw that, I thought, you know what, I know that's just a movie and that can't ever happen. But you know, that's what the Bible does for you. Bible takes you into the future and shows you where as a Christian you need to make the best investment of your life. Because the judgment seat of Christ is going to be the payoff. And a lot of people go to the judgment seat of Christ stupid, or they think they go stupid, or they go in ignorance. I've told you before, God's not going to hold you accountable what you, what you know or didn't know. He's going to hold you accountable because he gave you a book that told you of future events and told you exactly where to put your investments. At the judgment seat of Christ, it ain't going to be any big deal as far as you're going to be able to plead ignorance. God's going God's to have us dead to rights because he's given us the book that puts us on the cutting edge that shows us exactly where the insight into where the good investments are, that we know exactly what the Bible tells us we ought to put it, where we better put our time, our money, and our, our labors. And uh, it, you want to be a millionaire? You want to be a million times sharper than the average guy at the judgment seat of Christ simply because uh, you know how to make wise investments. You know what the whole Bible is really written about? Certainly the Old Testament. And really up through the New Testament that you get to Paul's writings, you know what it is? It's about a wise man and a foolish man. That's really what it's about. You come through the book of Proverbs, through the book of Psalms, it talks about a wise man, uh, uh, you know, uh, he says in his heart that, uh, you know, that the word of God, he loves God, and a, and a fool says in his heart that there is no God. You got five, you got ten versions, five are wise, five are foolish, Matthew chapter 25. All through the Bible, the Old Testament, it's nothing but a wise man and a foolish man. You know what the wise man does? He finds out where to make the investments. The foolish man never does. And God's people are that way today. Proverbs 15, 6 says, In the house of the righteous is much treasure, but in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. And you know what? Your life and my life today is nothing more and is nothing more than where we have made investments and in that you are and I are today. Uh, you and I are where we're at today is where we're at with those investments. And when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, that's all it's going to be about. You're going to look back and you're going to have the ability because you're going to have a glorified body 
And at that point, you're going to have the mind of Christ incarnate in you, just like Christ. You're going to know everything that God knows. You're going to be just like Christ. You're a joint heir with Him. And you're going to see and understand everything perfectly crystal clear the way it really is and was all down through history. And then you're going to see every opportunity that you and I had to make the right investment when we made the wrong investment understanding how it all plays out that the real issue in life was coming to the judgment seat of Christ because Christ died for you and he had a plan for you and the success of that plan is nothing more than you making the quality right investments in your life and fulfilling it or making the wrong investments and not fulfilling it. The only difference is you don't have to wait till then to see it in crystal clarity. You've got that mind that's going to be in you someday, right here in this book you can put in you now. Yeah, I know you're limited to a degree. We all are, because we're still in flesh and blood bodies, and we still struggle, we still have the flesh. But let me tell you something. That doesn't negate the fact that the Bible still has the ability to impact your life, to give you the cutting edge of making the right investments in your life, because life is so short. Now, I figured up one time, the Bible talks about in Psalms, it talks about that man's life is three score and ten, seventy years. At one time, just fooling around, I thought to myself, you know what, that's, that sounds like a lot of time. Boy, it really isn't a lot of time. And then the Bible talks about redeeming the time. And I got looking at that, and I thought, wow, you know what, that, uh, there, there's something to that time. And I figured it up. I figured by the time, by the time you take 70 years, and the average Christian, the average Christian probably doesn't get saved until they're 20 years old. It varies, but I'm just giving you an average here. So you don't have 70, you got 50. And then you stop and think about the fact that, you know what, you sleep one-third of that. You don't ever think of that. There's a 30-year, let that 50 years, that you ain't going to do anything for God because you're sleeping. And then you start to think about the fact that in a, in a natural lifetime, you eat five years of that. I figured it out. By the time you got done with that thing, and you put all those variables in there, it's no wonder the Bible said to redeem the time because you only probably got 15, 20 years at the most to give God and all that you do. You know, there's a great discrepancy in the Bible. There's a great discrepancy in the Bible. 93 years. Back in the book of Judges, it gives a time period. Over in the book of Acts, it talks about the exact same event and it gives the time period. Exact same time, exact same events, except there's a 93-year difference between the two events. Now, the Bible scholars, they say it's a... When those scribes were copying that stuff and laying that stuff out, that they just made an error, and it's an error in your Bible. That's what they teach. When you don't know what to do with it, throw it out. That's the word they work with, you see. But if you go back to the book of Judges, you know what you find? You find a recording of the times of the nation of Israel and what they're doing. And you'll find that there's times, and you add those times up, where they were out of fellowship with God and wasn't doing right with God. God was keeping that time score. And you know what? We know what that missing 93 years is? It's the time God didn't count. It's the time they were captive to their sin back in the book of Judges. In other words, God doesn't count the time you and I screw around and don't do what's right. So you take the time out of our lives where we just dink around and don't do what's right and out of fellowship with God in those various times. You think, well, you know, it was only 20 minutes today and then I was back with God. And, you know, I was out for a week, you know, but then I'm back. You put that on a lifetime and see what that adds to. No wonder we only got 5, 10, 15, 20 years to really give God the very best we have. No wonder he said redeem the time. You see, when you get the sharpness of the Word of God and you understand those things, 
You understand what it means to redeem the time. You understand how those things, how it deals with. You begin to see those things. And you realize that your life is nothing more than an investment. Alright, he says this, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Two-edged sword. We talked about this the other night in Thursday night Bible study. And we talked about how that uh, how to, you don't just uh, learn how to use the Bible. Uh, you, uh, you, you learn how to use the Bible and not just learn the Bible. Having the Bible and not learning how to use it is, is no good. And of course, we talked about the fact when we were... Pammy asked a question about Ephesians chapter 6, about the armor of God. And we talked about the fact that the warfare is two phases, offensive and defensive. You can protect yourself with a sword. You can fight with a sword. It's an offensive, defensive weapon. And that sword is something that uh, you can defend yourself with, and it's something that you can attack with. But you have to learn how to use it. I'll tell you something else. You have to learn when to use it. Sometimes the best offense is a good defense. I mean, it's just a matter of learning how to use that Bible and not just learning the Bible or a lot of things about the Bible. I always talk about, you know, that a lot of people know a lot of things about the Bible, but they never really learn the Bible. Well, there's a third element to that, and that is learning how to use the Bible. You'll hear me talk about a working knowledge of the Word of God a lot. When I talk about a working knowledge of the Word of God, I'm talking about somebody who knows where the Bible is, knows what the Bible is, knows the Bible, and knows how to use the Bible. It knows what the Bible will do for them, offensively and defensively. Because all warfare, spiritual warfare, in Ephesians chapter 6, is broken down into those two categories. That's why in the armor there, you find some of it's for offense, some of it's for defense. You find people that can take all kinds of abuse, all kinds of, uh, just seems like they can't take anymore, and you don't know how they can take it anymore, but all of their life they can just take it and take it and take it, but they never do anything for God on the offense. They never win anybody to Christ. They never do anything meaningful in their life. But boy, they can just take it, take it, take it, and take it. Then you find people who do great things for God and just get out there, you know, and they're great soul winners and all that. And the first time somebody says something bad about them, they fold up like a broken accordion and they're worthless. Offense and defense. All the Bible is broken down in those two aspects. So he says a sharp two-edged sword. It cuts two ways. Offensively and defensively. And you got to learn how to use it. Then he says this. A sharp two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder. Piercing. Bible goes down deep. It won't just cut you on the surface. That thing goes straight to your heart. He says the word of God won't return void in the book of Isaiah, that God always accomplishes the purpose thereto he sent it. And when you send the word of God out, it always does what God intends for it to do. That is cut straight to your heart. The Bible never, never, it's not a weapon that will ever, ever, ever just give you a superficial wound. Never. The Bible will never just glance off you. Never. The Bible won't just give you a little wound in the arm. Never. I don't care if it's one little verse. I don't care if it's a whole passage. I don't care if you hear a sermon. I don't care if you see a tract. I don't care if it's one little verse or one little concept. That thing will cut you right to your heart every time you hear it. Well, there's men out there tonight that go spend $100,000 getting a college education to get out from under the conviction they got under 30 years ago because some Sunday school teacher just preached one verse and God never let them go. Never let them go. Years ago, I told you this story too, or a story like it. Years ago, uh, when we were used to do street preaching back in Ohio, uh, <clears throat> we were down there on a the square and um, I was... Uh, 
uh, I had already done my preaching, and I went down to the drugstore down the end of the block, you know, I was going to get a Coke, you know, and kind of soothe my throat a little bit, you know, and, and I was down there, and I went in there, and a guy, guy walked in, you know, and he, he waited the girl, you know, like he knew her, and, and uh, he came in there, and he says, oh, you must be born again, you must be born again. He says, I don't even know if I was born the first time, you know, just joking. She says, yeah, I know what you mean. What do you need? I'll give you a cup of coffee and a bowl of chili, da 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 you know. You know what? That old boy been walking down that street down there, and he heard that kid down there in that little soapbox saying, you must be born again, you must be born again, you must be born again. I'm going to promise you something. That guy didn't take it to heart. He didn't even take it seriously. He just blew it off. Oh, you must be born again. I didn't know if I was born the first guy. I promise you something. If he lives to be 100 years old, he'll remember you must be born again. He'll never forget it. Why? The word of God doesn't return void. Why? That thing is piercing. And it'll cut you to your heart and to your soul. Maybe you'll never get saved. Maybe you'll never do anything with it. But you'll never forget it. One verse dropped like a knife 30 years ago cut you for 30 years. Because it, it pierces. And not only does it pierce, but it divides asunder. It's piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. You know what the problem in the world is today? I like to make things real simple. You know that, because I'm a simple kind of guy. You know what the problem is today? If you want to put the problem in the world today in one sentence, I'll tell you what it is. Here's the problem. We live in a world that has a Bible that wants to divide in a world that wants to get everything together. That's the problem. We live in a world that wants to get everything and everybody together and we have a book in this world that wants to divide and tear everything up. That is the problem. That is the problem. The Bible is never a book to get anything together without dividing it first. Never. Never. That Bible divides before it ever puts back together. I mean, uh, the conflict in my life, my body, soul, and spirit is a new nature versus an old nature. And God divides those things out. Everybody talks about Jesus coming, you know, and, and uh, you know, the lover of my soul, and Jesus being a great, compassionate person and all those things, you know, and He would never do this and He would never do that, and we get the wrong idea. He says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 35, I am come to set a man at variance against his father, I mean, uh, and his mother. I mean, everything Christ does, He does to divide. Every time He shows up, Everything, every, every, every act God did in Genesis divided. Genesis chapter 1 verse 4, He divided the light from the darkness. Genesis chapter 1 verse 6, He made a firmament and divided it. Genesis chapter 1 verse 14, He made two great lights. One divided the light from the darkness. That's the whole story of God. Why, in John chapter 7 verse 12, it says, And there was much murmuring among the people concerning Jesus. What was it all about? Some said he was a good man. Others said he deceived the people. They were divided. That's the problem today. We live in a world that wants to get everything together. we got a book that is the best book in the world on dividing. This book will divide you on everything in life. It pierces to your heart and then it divides the soul from the spirit. And the joints of the morrow. It divides everything in your life and my life. And that's why you're going to find that everything that Jesus did, He came to divide. 
I mean, Israel's getting along. They're fine. They made a nice deal with the Roman Empire. Everybody's just happy. It's the little guy on the bottom and all the big guys on the top. And when Jesus shows up, what did he do? He divided them. He gets his 12 apostles and they get a bunch of other people around there and all his disciples and then they go over there and John and he talks about eating my body. Da, 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 da. What happens? The Bible says after that, many of them don't follow him. He divided them. He, that book divides. If you don't go with the book and you don't, and you don't adjust your attitude to the book, it will divide you all of your life. That's what happens in families. Some kid comes in and gets saved, you know, and goes home and he's all excited about the Word of God. Mom and dad aren't excited. That book divides them. It's just the way that it is. That's what Jesus said that he came to do. He didn't come to... I know he came to save the world, but you see, he's got to divide you from the world before he can save you. He's got to set a man at variance. You've got to get divided out. And that's the problem. That's the problem. And so that's why everything you see in Genesis, he's dividing, he's dividing, he's dividing, he's dividing, he's dividing. He takes that thing and he divides it and he splits it and he takes that thing all the way through. Because number two in your Bible is a number of division. And that's the problem in the world. We have a Bible that divides in a world that wants to get along with everybody and it just is not going to happen. You see, we don't like differences today. We want all the, we don't want any difference between men and women. So we want, we don't, we, we, we don't. So we want to, we want to accept all of that, you know, and just make everybody, so there was a time when you had a male bathroom in a, in a, in a female bathroom. Now a lot of places you just have one bathroom, unisex, you know, everybody's one. I mean, there was a time where a wife was a husband and wife, and now we want everybody together. We want, we want men to be able to be married. We want two women to be able to be married. We don't want to divide the thing out. Now, our, you know, right now our country wants to take a stand. The president wants to take a stand. He said we need to take a stand on, 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 you know, the, the definition of a marriage is one man, one woman. In a world that wants to get everybody together and let everybody be married. And of course, that just isn't going to happen. That's, it's, it, we, we, the problem is we got the Bible divides. The right divides. You have right and you have wrong. You can't get them together. Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You have to divide it out. Well, the next thing, dividing a son of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, every uh, month we get our, we all get the same thing. We get our bills. You get your telephone bill, you get your gas bill, you get your electric bill. And everything we do in this society, I don't know if you know it or not, they don't do it like they used to do it used to be that you have a gas man come around and come in your yard and look at your meter and write down how much gas you used. Then the electric guy came around, he read your meter, and he marked down how much, how much electric you used. They don't do that anymore because people don't like people in their yard, you know, and too many dogs and people getting shot and all that, you know, and, and too many people. So now, you know how they do it now? I don't know if you know this or not. You know they got cars now, they just drive up and down the street, they got sensors on to read your meters? Yeah. I mean, I don't think they do that all the time, but that's I, they, they do that. They do that. They just they got little sensors in their cars and they got little things out there and they'll drive up and down real slow in your block and as you pass your house it reads whatever your meter is on your gas meter, your electric meter and puts it into their computer and then you get a bill every month. That's what they do. And I don't know, you, we don't even know it. You know, we're sleeping, we're in there, we're playing with the dog, playing with the kid, we're eating dinner and somebody's reading your meter while you're doing there. You think everything's just fine, you know, everything's just fine, and you know, oh, yeah, yeah, and the bill comes, and wow, $30, I didn't even know, the, how did they know I used that? Somebody read your meter, well, you didn't know it. 
It's a subtle thing. Somebody on a monthly basis is reading your meter and sending you a bill, and you've got to pay. I mean, it's as simple as that. That's why I hate computer bills. Computers are, I mean, they're all right, but boy, I'll tell you what. They, I mean, you just never get ahead with them. They, I mean, you know, you don't, get a, you don't get a gas bill for four or five months, and you're saying, oh, man, I'm not using any gas. This is really good. We can spend the money, go to vacation, go see Grandma. And then one month comes in, and you get a $5,000 gas bill. Why? Computer was on vacation. He just said, you know what, let it ride. Let it ride. I know what goes on. And the little computer's a little mind down, a little guy down there, and he's saying, eh, let me get this Alexander guy. I'm going to get him a false sense of hope. He thinks he's not using much gas. Watch this. Give him two or three months, and I'm going to whack him with a big gas bill. That's what happened. It's a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy. But I'm telling you. That's what happens. But I'm going to tell you something more than that. Every day of your life. Not only is the guy driving up and down reading your gas meter and your electric meter, but God's reading your meter. God's the greatest meter reader this world's ever seen. He reads your heart. He reads your heart. And one of these days, jump and see to Christ, the bill's going to come due. The bill's going to come due. You see, the Word of God keeps us honest. That's why it's so important. That's why one of the reasons God wanted believers in the New Testament to meet together for the preaching of the Word of God. Because... While I'm preaching today, the Holy Spirit of God is reading your meter. As simple as that. I mean, I may, it doesn't matter what I preach. I don't have to preach a message on salvation for somebody to get saved. I don't have to preach a message on, you know, uh, holy living for somebody to, and, and preach on something else for somebody else to know they're not living right. The Word of God discerns the thoughts and intents of my heart. And it didn't matter what it is. I'm still thankful that I don't have to, you know, if I've got a, if I got a, you know what it would be like if you, if you had a bad heart this morning or you had something in your life that you shouldn't have in your life, how you could escape if the, if the preacher in a year's time just never hit on that subject. And that hitting on that subject is the only thing that would really, God would use. You have to preach on uh, drunkenness before a drunk gets worried about it, you know. You have to preach on stealing before a thief gets any conviction about it. it wouldn't it be a terrible thing? Let me tell you something. That Holy Spirit of God can take the most extreme, abstract thing that some guy's talking about as long as it's the Bible, and he'll bring it back and whack you when something that has nothing to do with what he's preaching. But the Bible says that the Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, and he goes wherever you're at, and he will read your meter. And you don't have to wait till the end of the month to get the bill. You'll get it today as you leave. Now, he won't let it go for two or three months and then hits you one time. You'll get it every time you open up the book. And then once you come and you hear it, you may reject it and be mad and say, I don't want to get right, I don't want to do it, I don't like it. You may blame it on me, the preacher, the person that brought you, whatever the case. But you know what, all the way home and all the way to the rest of your day, and as you go to sleep tonight and you wake up in the middle of the night, you know what, the old meter reader is right there, boy. You know why? I'll tell you why. The next thing. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Everything, he sees everything. You know the best way to come to God? Just come to God, lay right on the table. Don't try to, don't try to shellac it. Don't try to pretend that it isn't the way that it is. I mean, you may pretend that way with me or your wife or your husband or your whatever, or your kid, but don't pretend it with him. Between you and him, it's all naked and open. And you tell him the way, just the way it is, because he already knows just the way it is. Because there isn't any creature that's not manifest in his sight. 
Not a one. That book's alive, and the greatest concept of the Word of God is the fact that it is alive. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.23, it says it's a, it, 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 it abides and it liveth forever. I like back in the Old Testament some of these things that most people don't pick up on, but when you understand these things, it really shows you something. For instance, Psalms 11.4. Well, Psalm 34.15 says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. Proverbs 5.21 says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. Simple enough. Then he says this, Psalms 11, verse 4. God's eyelids try the children of men. Now, I can dig, for the ways of man are before his eyes. I got that. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. I got that. But how in the world does God's eyelids try the children of men? You know how? God never blinks. When you blink, you don't see for an instant of a second. And if somebody was fast enough, they could punch you when you blink. They could do something you didn't see, because when you blink, you close your eyes for just a split second. And in that split second, you are vulnerable. If the guy is fast enough, you are vulnerable in just that, and we all blink. We all blink. We blink. It's just part of our natural automated motor skills of our body. We blink. And in that second of a fraction of a millisecond that we blink, we are vulnerable because we can't see. And God sees everything. And the way his eyelids try the children of men is because he never closes his eyes. He never blinks. There isn't any second you can do anything that he can't see. He doesn't blink. His eyes are always going to and fro, and you can't hide even in the split second that your eyelids close and open again. In other words, no matter how fast you think you are, no matter how good you think you are covering your sin, no matter how fast and slick you think you are at what you do, God sees it because he never blinks. I may blink. Your wife may blink. Your kids may blink. Your best friend may blink. God never blinks, and in that his eyelids try the children of men. And all things are naked and open under, under the eyes. He sees everything. He understands everything. Well, lastly, human nature, as human beings, we love companions. That's the way God made us. We love to have companionship. Bible said, I have made man and it's good for man not to be alone. So he made man a woman. And our whole character makeup is we love companions. That's why when you're growing up, if you're a boy, you find a girlfriend. If you're a girl, you find a boyfriend. A little bit later on, you get a husband. Or maybe you get a wife. If that doesn't work out, you can't find anybody, you get a cat. Or you get a dog. 
I've never understood it, but some people even find companionship with goldfish. I don't understand it. But you know what? The greatest companion in this whole wide world is not a wife, a husband, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, dog, cat, or goldfish. It's a book. And it's a live book. And it's the greatest companion you'll ever have. You don't have to feed it. You don't have to walk it. And it'll do everything in your life that you need once you receive it as the Word of God, as it is in truth, the Word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. It quickens you. It's powerful. It makes you sharper. It's a two-edged sword, defense, offense. It divides asunder. It shows you what's right and what's wrong. It discerns the thoughts and intents of your heart first, and then everybody else's, and everything in our lives. We don't have to put up a front with God. Don't you like to have some place in your life when you can be just you? I mean, we all, have, we all put on fronts to a certain degree. We all do. We all do. It's just human nature. You know what? When you don't feel good, you say, I'm fine. When you don't want to be somewhere, you smile and say, your spaghetti sauce is unbelievable. We all have our things that we do that we really don't want to do. But you know what? Isn't it nice to have a place? Isn't it nice to have a place where you can just be you? That you don't have to dress. You don't have to put your hair. You don't have to put your face on. I mean, we, life is such a shame. And I'm not saying those things are wrong, but you know what? We all, put, we all do the outside so we appear to be what we think people want us to see us to be. And that's just the way we are. But when it comes to God, it is so great to know that all things are naked and open under the eyes. We, we can just be who we need to be with God. We can just be who we are. The one place and person in your life that you can just simply be what you are. And God doesn't expect anything else. In fact, He likes it. I come to your house in the morning and you've got curlers in your hair, no makeup, <laughs> bathrobe on with them big fluffy shoes. And I really, for a minute I think it's your mother and then I see it's you. Here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, you know what? I've caught you at a bad time. <laughs> I'll be back later. See? I mean, God, He'll take you just the way you are. In fact, he likes it better that way. He likes it. He says, nice pop cans in your hair. I like that. He loves it just the way you are. You don't have to fix yourself up to be with him. Just take it the way it is. All things are naked and open. So, these are the seven things you get from the book when you receive the book. And there are seven things that will help you understand in a greater way what the book will do for you, how God looks at you, and what he wants in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, praise you for the Lord Jesus. We love you so much, and we thank you, Father, for the time we could have today. Truly, Lord, it's been good to be here today and just to have a time around your word. And we love you and thank you so much for all that you do for us. And, Lord, I love you, and I just pray in a great and mighty way, Lord, that you'll bless our people today. Help us to grow from what we've learned today. Give us a good Bible study this week as you did last week. And Lord, may we uh, endeavor to see people saved and uh, come to our church and just grow. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for the sake we ask it. Amen.